listener. Hi, and welcome to Broadsheet Melbourne, Around Town. I'm Broadsheet's Editorial Director, Katja Vuchtel, and the host of this guide to Melbourne. Australian director Kitty Green's last film tackled the fallout of Me Too, and now she's back, and she's back with a film that was filmed in Australia called The Royal Hotel, and Audrey Payne is here to chat to us about it. She saw it recently. She saw a chat with Kitty. She was also overseas at the film festival when the film premiered at Telluride, so I feel like you've been around the film now for a few months. Yeah, I've been like circling this movie, but finally got to see it about a week ago now. So tell us about the context in which it premiered at Telluride. Premiered at Telluride, which is a film festival in Colorado. And I sadly missed it there, but I figured I'd be able to see it in Australia. But it was kind of funny because for people who've been to like film festivals, I'm sure music festivals are kind of similar. You just kind of start talking to people in lines about what they've seen, what they've been thinking. And a lot of the people um, who I was interacting with, at least, were, you know, from Colorado or American people based in LA or New York. There was a lot of buzz around this movie, which was pretty cool. But it was funny because I'd been warned that it was going to be a two-hour anxiety trip. So I was a little bit nervous to see it. But it's funny because when she spoke to our team about the movie, She mentioned that Americans kind of take it more of a thriller horror and Australians and people in the UK kind of get the humour more and are laughing. She's like, the jokes don't really land in the States. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. um, There's a scene pretty early on. So basically for setup, the Royal Hotel is about two young backpackers who end up working in a rural community because they want to extend their working holiday visas. It's quite a common thing for um, people visiting Australia. Um, Mm. So they end up at a pub in this mining town. Hugo Weaving plays the owner, the publican, and he has a scene very early on in the movie where he uses some, what Americans would consider colourful language, what Australians might not consider (laughs) as colourful. So I could see how that particular scene, it comes pretty early in the movie. And if you there's a certain word everyone can kind of guess what the (laughs) word is, I guess, um, that he uses that American people do not use use or take well to and I think Australian people can kind of see the humor in what he's saying so that for me like alleviated tension but I imagine for a U.S. audience and Kitty Green the director was kind of getting at this they don't know how to take his character and it puts him in a much more sinister position in their heads okay yeah so kind of from the beginning you have that different way of viewing the movie. Okay. Mm. Let's go to the cast. So in addition to Hugo Weaving, there's also, I mean, there are a couple of big names in it. One who, you know, Julia Garner is, has been a, I feel like a Hollywood darling for the Mm. last few years. She was in Ozark, brilliant in Ozark and won an Emmy Award for her portrayal uh, in that, in that TV series by Jason Bateman. And then she also played um, the, most famous scam <laughs> artist of the last decade in yep. inventing Anna. So tell us about Julia's role and, and also, you know, there's these two women in this in, in the film. Yeah, so Julia Garner and Jessica Henwick, who isn't as well-known as Julia, but she was Bugs in the most recent Matrix movie, which is what, what I knew her from. Um, they're co-leads and they play these two backpackers who end up working at a pub Both in American? rural Australia. Both American. This is the second time that Kitty Green and Julia Garner have worked together. So she was the lead in Kitty Green's most recent prior to the Royal Hotel film, The Assistant. So Mm. it's cool to see them reunite. And it's a pretty 
different role. Like the assistant, a lot of it sits in the silence. Like she has a lot more lines in this movie. It's a bit mm. of a more active role. Um, but it's cool to see them reunite. And similarly um, to the assistant, like this movie speaks to kind of these like threats of violence, sexual and otherwise, that kind of are underlying in the workplace, but in a completely different setting, the right. assistant set in a production office. Okay. And tell us about Kitty. Like, where's she from? Where'd she grow up? And also, I guess, how she kind of ended up developing this film after seeing, I guess, she saw the documentary mm-hmm. and thought, oh, I could do something with this. Yeah. So she's from Melbourne, which is so <laughs> cool. First time she shot anything in Australia. So she comes from actually a documentary filmmaking background. She also did casting John Burnett for Netflix, that Netflix doc that came out a few years ago. About JonBenet, who's the very famous young beauty queen who was Mm. murdered and, I mean, still to this day there's controversy about what happened. Yeah, probably one of the most famous cases. Cases, yeah. Um, But, yeah, so she comes from a documentary background. She did her first feature, The Assistant, um, a few years ago and now she's back with another feature. And it's cool too because she's worked with some other Aussies, like the production designer, they recreated an entire pub. Um, it's a Melbourne person. She co-wrote the film with Oscar Redding, who's also Aussie. So it's like, I think it comes through in the movie as well. You're like, okay, this is a movie about, yes, Americans' perception of Australia, but definitely not cringy in the way that sometimes those yeah. films can be. Yeah. So do, do you think of it after having watched it as an Australian film or does it feel like a kind of mixture of, because you've got these hmm. Americans playing key roles? That's a great question. I think it feels like an Australian film for sure because it doesn't feel like someone's take on our culture. Mm. Like it definitely, you can tell that there's Australian talent behind it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. where, did, and where was it filmed? Um, South Australia. So they used exteriors were shot on location and then they built a set and they were based in Adelaide. Okay. Yeah. Would you send people to this film right away? You know, what was your, I guess, what was your takeaway? Yeah, no, no, no. I was so happy I finally got to see it. I was so happy I wasn't like filled with anxiety the whole time. And it's funny, like Kitty Green said this in the Q&A afterwards. She goes, you see two women with backpacks on in an outback setting and you are expecting them to get murdered and for all these horrible things to happen. Of course. She does a really good job of pacing the movie and like letting the tension be there without having to do anything that's overly sensationalized or like confronting the audience for the sake of it. Like things kind of exist in the gray areas. This this is not Wolf Creek. This is not Wolf Creek. No. And it's not. It's tense because you don't know where it's going necessarily, but you're not going to sit there and be like, why did someone just make me watch that? Like it's very thoughtfully done. Okay. And did she talk about what might be coming next for her? I mean, this is, I I feel like this is obviously a really important Australian filmmaker that we Mm -hmm. should be, if we weren't watching beforehand, it should be someone we're watching now. I think she's also really smart about how she's getting movies made and financed. Like she spoke about the fact that, you know, the documentary that this is based on follows Scandinavian people. She made them American so she could get American financing. Like, I think this Mm. is a very exciting filmmaker, but also a very practical filmmaker. So the Royal Hotel, it's out now, right? Anyone can go and see it. They just have to look on Google and find out where it might be showing near them. Yeah. Okay. Thanks so much, Audrey. Thank you. The world has no shortage of beauty and skincare platforms, but Australian platform Bambi is different. The website only stocks skincare, makeup and fragrance, that adheres to strict ethical and sustainability practices. And part of its mission is to educate, not just provide a shopping opportunity. On it, you'll find products from Australia and overseas, 
They're all premium quality and they are all cruelty-free. Bambi's founder is Tennille Dunstall and she's with us today in the studio. Thank you so much for having me. Bambi's different to other beauty and skincare platforms in Australia. Every product is selected under very strict inclusion and also exclusion guidelines. So what are some of those guidelines? It's really interesting. When we were developing that, I was in consultation with industry experts as well as cosmetic chemists to actually build this model. And so what we came up with was really three key pillars that we needed this model and our standards to actually reflect and those brands to reflect that. We actually analysed over 600 brands. We got down to 21. But um, yeah, it was really around those key three pillars. So it was green science. So that's all around not having harsh chemicals in it, more environmentally friendly ingredients. So no like parabens, microplastics. And then from a sustainability point of view, it was really around looking at their sustainability um, concepts of their brands. So plastic free, less plastic, refillables, all those different really sustainable items. And even from a Bambi point of view, our packaging is all plastic free. Even the tape that we use is plastic free, biodegradable. The boxes are using recyclable products, non-toxic ink. So we've really gone over and above to really bring that sustainability element, not just the expectation of our brands, but also the expectations that we bring from a Bambi perspective, which was really important to us. And then the third pillar was really around that ethical stance. The products aren't tested or brands aren't tested on animals because I think that's one of the, it's a really underlying issue that's out there that doesn't get actually brought to the surface, that a lot of the big brands in Australia still have to be tested on animals overseas. It's banned in Australia, but it happens overseas. Tell us about the eco-friendly sustainability part of the products that you've chosen. Some of the products that we've chosen, for example, are Fortuna Skin, an amazing brand. From overseas, it is certified organic, natural. And so if you watch documentaries like kiss the ground, they really talk about this rejuvenating the actual soil and actually making it work in its natural environment rather than putting chemicals down and really digging into the ground, creating um, loose soil that actually just goes up into the atmosphere. Because at the end of the day, you're buying beauty products that come from a farm. The ingredients come from, um, you know, our farming areas. So that's really important from a sustainability point of view as well. I never thought about it like that. I don't know where I thought they, I mean, I guess a lot of them are synthetic, so they're being made in labs, but of course you'll see a product advertised and it'll talk about a natural vitamin or some beautiful, I don't know, some oil that's been extracted from some native plant. So it it hadn't actually not occurred to me before that they were coming off the land and I envisioned it always being in a lab. So you've got 20 local and international brands, or you did when you started. Has that stayed the same, more or less? 21 now. 21, okay. You said you cut it down from 600. Yes. So is that because they didn't meet the standards across not just the eco-friendly sustainability standards, but also the quality standards? I think when you think of um, brands and they say they're clean, there's all different types of definition of Mm. what clean actually means and what natural actually means. So when you when we actually dug down into some of the brands, they actually, yeah, they didn't ladder up to our standard of what clean, natural, green science actually is. And so that was really important from us. 
also from a transparency point of view that I think a lot of brands say they're they're clean, but they don't have really the definition of what that actually means. Mm. So that's why at Bambi, it was really important for us to actually have those standards on our website so consumers can actually go and see and see what our standards actually are. Yeah. Clean is one of those words. What does that mean? And it can also be used, I think, in a a way, yeah, it can be used as a catch-all. But when you look in, it's like, I don't know what that means. So you've talked about how some of the brands use cutting-edge technology. Uh, one of the things you mentioned was designing a tablet-formulated skincare to save on shipping water. Can you explain that and what brand does that? Because that just sounds, that sounds far off into the future. Yeah, so that's um, Mono Skincare. That brand actually has a tablet and you place it into water. So they've got like a night serum, they've got a pH toner, they've got a natural deodorant. And so you place that tablet into Um, You could have bought a container that you wanted to put your skincare products in or you can use one of theirs and you put the tablet into there and you add water to it and it dissolves the actual product and you use it from there. So rather than shipping um, products around the world because you're mostly shipping water, um, they decided to create this tablet which was actually going to create less emissions. It sounds like not only do these do these brands really focus on the science and the technology? They're also beautiful to look at. It's it, this is a premium site, correct? Like these are these yes. these are products that have been considered in terms of the way they look. They're aesthetically beautiful. I, that must come into your decision when you're making a choice about whether to put it on the platform or not. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a misconception that natural beauty products aren't as effective as luxury, more synthetic products. So um, the platform, it was really around bringing to light these really highly efficient, high quality, amazing products to the consumer. And I can say from, you know, shifting away from the pro- the high-end products that I used to use mm. to these more natural, clean products, like I've definitely seen a difference in my skin. And, you know, I've got friends that are, you know, have really testified that also, and consumers, there's reviews up around the products that I think these products actually perform even better than those luxury products. Can you give an example of a you know, mainstream or large-scale manufactured product that you used to use and what you've replaced it with on the platform? Yeah, so one of the ones that I used to use a lot was um, Giorgio Armani, so um, their luminous skin. So now I use... Is that a foundation? Yes, foundation. Like an iconic foundation. Yes, yes, yes. So I have really swapped that for um, the Erin Perez Oat Milk Foundation. There's also a Luke Beauty Food. It's Illuminating Glow. So I have I have those two now that I actually use instead of the um, Illumination. And where are those two brands from? So Erin Perez, she... Um, is an Australian, so that's an Australian brand, and so is Luke Luke Beauty Food. So that Luke Beauty Food was actually developed by a lady in Australia who is actually a, a um, food scientist. And so a lot of the ingredients that goes into the Luke Beauty um, Glow is actually a lot of food ingredients. You'll find Bambi online, B-A-M-B-I-I.au. Thanks for joining us, Neil. Thank you so much for having me. listener production.